into sports. 20 yards out, Urshan shoot, don't shoot! Oh, what a goal from Fabinho! Wow! And get into the all-new OTB Sports app. I think when he apologises to me, I probably will say hello to him, yeah. No. Videos, sports news, live scores, interviews. If Abregas is going to come up to me in the street and give me some of a mouth that he would have given me on a football pitch, what do you do? You get a slap. Plus exclusive content on the OTB Podcast Network. The biggest names in sports. Ready when you are. Search OTB Sports on your app store and download it now. The OTB Podcast Network. Brady and Belichick have been at the forefront of the credit in New England for the last 20 years. OTB's American Football Show, The Snap on OTB Sports Radio. Welcome along to this week's edition of The Snap. Kian Fahey is with us. Kian, good morning to you. How are you? Jar, uh, I think we've been doing this podcast of some variation of it for about six years, and I feel compelled to be honest with you. This is the first one I nearly slept in for, <laughs> and I can't believe it was because of the Jets and Broncos. You, you in our WhatsApp group to uh, to lift the curtain here to open the kimono, as they say, was like, "Oh, I'm going to get an early night because uh, you know it's um, not one of the good games that I actually need to stay up for and watch." But yet you stayed, I suspect, to the bitter end. Well, I so what happened was on Monday night I was watching the Ravens uh, Chiefs game. See, I'm so I'm so tired I can barely remember that that was the Chiefs and that was the game that everyone should easily remember. And I said to myself, you know, this game was supposed to be unbelievable and it turned out to be a complete dud because one side just took over and won with ease. And we could see early on it was going to be that way. So I said to myself, I'll give Thursday Night Football a chance. So I watched the first drive and the first drive was pretty good. And I watched the second drive and that was pretty good too. And then suddenly the, Chief, or the the Jets and the Broncos were going back and forth and it was actually decent quality football and there was plenty of drama. And the game itself, like, yeah, obviously it was Ripian versus Darnold. It wasn't high-end quality and Darnold got hurt at one point. Joe Flacco came in, so we had that moment even. But it was actually quite a good game and it was really relatively well played and the Jets lost in the end, but it was very close. And then you had Greg Williams at the end doing absolutely awful, despicable Greg Williams things. So it went on until about five o'clock in the morning and I couldn't even sleep after it. I was quite excited about watching it. Right. You, you have it bad. There's an addiction there, Kian, and you, you've got it bad. Uh, oh, so, okay, I, I had no intention of talking about that game last night, but what are your takeaways? <laughs> Uh, well, there isn't, there isn't really a huge amount to, to talk about from it because there isn't anything like the, the biggest story coming out of that was Greg Williams being a terrible person as Greg Williams tends to be. He At the end of the game, I assume you don't know anything about this, but at the end of the game, Sam Darnold got sacked on four downs with one minute and 58 left. The Jets had three timeouts left and the, they were down by two scores. So there was no reason for the Jets to try and get the ball back, but they used all three of their timeouts so they could blitz the, the Broncos quarterback and try and hit him. So they just kept hitting the Broncos quarterback and giving away roughing the passer penalties. And it was a complete disgrace. Vic Fangio took his team to us. He won't walk straight off. We're not shaking anyone's hand. We're not talking to anyone on the other sideline. We're gone from here. He was targeting our quarterback. And it was it, it's a typical sign of a bad coaching staff and a bad football team where the, one, the point at the end of the game where they have no chance of winning it, where the only possible outcome is to hurt someone else on the other team, is the point where they're the most aggressive and most excited to play. Outside of that... It was another kind of typical day of Greg Williams. The, the, Melvin Gordon is still looked great. He had a, an outstanding touch and run at the start and an outstanding touch and run at the end. Uh, Mark Rippian was actually really good as a passer and made a lot of really good plays early in the game and throughout the game. And he made a couple of plays to win the game at the end as well. 
but he also had three interceptions. And it, the the reason it, it was kind of a, a great example of why the NFL desperately needs a development league because Ripian was able to make every throw and he was able to make a lot of really good plays, but he also made just unbelievable rookie errors. And he had a massive penalty at the end of the game as well where he took a sack and had an intentional grounding because he misread a play and he had an interception where he came off his first read and threw straight to a defender. And those are the kind of plays you could get rid of in your young quarterbacks if they were had opportunities to play more. But they don't have opportunities to play in the NFL, so they wind up being third-string quarterbacks who had probably get that game, probably have a backup career like Trevor Simeon for the next 10 years and never really do anything all of them. Yeah, it's true, but they get incredibly rich for the privilege of never actually having to work for it. So my uh, my tiny violin is out for them. Uh, right. Oh, my my sadness is for the league, not for the players. Fair enough. Come here. The you mentioned the the uh, Ravens Chiefs game. The consensus is that um, Patrick Mahomes and the Kansas City Chiefs are the best team in football, and he outdueled and outplayed his rival to officially cement his status as the best young quarterback. And look, I don't know. Maybe there are. Um, a few Russell Wilson truthers out there, but certainly uh, in that debate, the balance of power shifted back towards Patrick Mahomes. Yeah, I wrote about it on Monday before the game, and at the end of it, I, I kind of wrote, I, well, I wrote about it and I said, Mar Jackson has been better than Patrick Mahomes over the last 12 months, and he kind of pretty easily has been because Mahomes peaked during the playoffs and had that great moment in the Super Bowl, and everyone sees that, so they assume he's always been better. But outside of that, Mahomes has been quite inconsistent in terms of the top one percenters in terms of measuring him against the very best in the league. He's still been one of the best quarterbacks in the league and he's still been right up there next to Lamar. After Monday night, you have to put him back ahead of Lamar, of course, but that's always going to be a swinging, that's always going to be a pendulum the way it was with Manning and Brady. It's about who's in better form over the couple of weeks. Everyone's down on Baltimore now because they have this zero and three record against Kansas City and it's been put on Lamar. Lamar didn't play well on Monday, but they also had major issues. Like nobody played well on Monday for the Ravens. Mark Andrews, who had, last year had three drops against the Seahawks and outside of that was very consistent and outstanding throughout the whole year he had three drops against the, uh, against the Chiefs on Monday and they were all big plays one especially a touchdown midway through the third quarter and that relationship between Jackson and, and Andrews just wasn't there when Jackson played well and made a good throw Andrews dropped the ball when Andrews got open and made a great route and ran a great route Lamar missed the throw when the uh, offensive line was getting beat pretty easily there was miscommunication like there was one play where Lamar broke, uh, dropped back in the pocket, and you have five eligible receivers running out. Marquise Brown runs straight down the right sideline, and his other four receivers are working in the middle of the field. What happens? Two of his receivers, Miles Boykin and uh, I think it was Willie Sneed, ran straight into each other. Mark Andrews and his running back in the flat ran, ran into each other, so they covered each other. So now Jackson has nowhere to go with the ball because four of his five eligible receivers are covering each other. So it's those kind of stupid mistakes you don't expect from a team that's one of the best in the league, and you especially don't expect from Jan Harbaugh. But there's one major, major element, and it was obvious to anyone watching the game, that is a problem with the, with the Ravens, and I've spoken about this before, but Don Martindale is the d defensive coordinator in Baltimore. They just paid Marlon Humphrey $96 million to be their cornerback for the next seven years. Marlon Humphrey is an outstanding cornerback, and he spent most of that game blitzing. He spent, his cornerbacks were blitzing all game. He had, uh, he had plays where McCall Hardman was being covered by a 300-pound uh, Pernell McPhee or 300-pound Matt Judon, who were the two best pass rushers they have off the edges. It did not make sense at all. That's a game plan they love to use because if you blitz bad quarterbacks often enough like Baker Mayfield, they'll confuse themselves and make massive mistakes and leave big plays on the field. If you blitz good quarterbacks, and Patrick Mahomes is obviously the best of the opponents for them, 
and one of the smartest quarterbacks in the league, he will see that over and over again because he knows you're always blitzing. He'll never trust the initial look you give him, so he'll always know what to do to adjust and adapt. And it was just all, every single every single play, any positive the Ravens had on defense came when they only rushed four and played coverage. And they actually had a pretty decent time like that. So it's a little bit warped, the perception of the Chiefs. I think you have to put them as the best team in the league, in part because the Ravens' flaws came out in such an uh, aggressive manner. And it wasn't just defensively. Offensively, their first drive ended because they called a rolling pocket where they rolled everyone to the right and had a specific a play call specifically for Willie Sneed, which is not what you want to do when you've got that much talent on offense. But you have to put the Chiefs ahead of them. But like, even if you just go back to last week, you saw how the Chargers managed that offense. You go back to the Texans game the week before, they didn't blow the, the Texans out as easily as they blew the Ravens out. So I wouldn't take this specific small sample and say, oh, this is reflective of how these two teams would play if they met again in the playoffs. I think the Ravens could fix an awful lot of their issues. They just won't fix that one coaching issue with Martindale because that's all Martindale ever wants to do. Yeah. Okay. Let's um, remind everybody that the snap and all of our American football coverage is brought to you by the Erlingers College Football Classic. Obviously, the 2020 game fell by the wayside as a result of the pandemic, but 2021 is obviously the focus now, and everybody is very hopeful that Illinois against Nebraska will go ahead at the Aviva next year at the... Uh, uh, if you want any information on this, by the way, the best place to go to is collegefootballireland.com for all the latest and up-to-date information about the game and tickets available there at collegefootballireland.com. Can we stick the graphics up for this week and tell you what the fixtures are? This is the uh, opportunity for us to look ahead. So the Denver Broncos at the Jets was last night. Obviously, the Broncos getting a win and the Jets surely now, Adam Gase, in uh, a lot of danger because that next game is not for 10 days and we'll get an opportunity to uh, see the New York media bear their teeth. The Chargers at the books is uh, Bosa versus Brady. Minnesota Vikings at the Houston Texans, the Browns at the Cowboys, the Colts at the Bears, the Saints at the uh, Detroit Lions, Jacksonville Jaguars at the Cincinnati Bengals, it's the Big Cats, Seattle Seahawks at the Miami Dolphins, Cardinals at Panthers, Ravens at Washington, the Giants at the Rams, <laughs> that's gonna be uh, one-way traffic, and Patriots at the Kansas City Chiefs, the Bills at the Raiders, Philly at the San Francisco 49ers, and the Falcons at the Green Bay Packers. Where do you want to start, Keen? Like, what's the what's the major overarching narrative after three weeks from your perspective? Uh, I think we can't really avoid the biggest storyline right now, and that's the Titans and the Vikings, and that game looking like it's not going to happen, and it's being postponed because of COVID outbreak. And like, obviously, we're waking up this morning and you're seeing that Trump has COVID as well. So there's bigger COVID cases in America right now than this one. But this was a pretty high-profile uh, issue because the NFL had done a brilliant job for the first three weeks. There had been no issues. We had one player miss a game on, on last Sunday, but he was isolated away from the rest of the team. So he didn't have any issues for the Falcons. And then we had this coach, the, a defensive assistant, get COVID for the, for the Titans on Saturday. And he spread it to his players and to other coaching uh, members of the coaching staff. And now they are spreading it to each other. And the game against the the, or the game between the Titans and the Steelers has been moved from Sunday this week to likely week seven or week eight. So I have to be able to explain this. The NFL uh, season is very tightly packed in. So there isn't really room to push games, uh, push games away because of the six-day turnaround or seven-day turnaround, whatever it is, between games. And they have every 16 games played in over 17 weeks. So only, uh, only, uh, every team only gets one bye week. But fortunately for the, the NFL, the Titans and the Steelers are in a little bit of a, a fortunate situation where 
The Steelers play the Ravens in week eight, and the Titans have a bye in week seven, and the Steelers have a bye in week eight, and the Ravens also have a bye in week seven. So they can move the Steelers-Ravens game a week earlier and then put the Titans and the Steelers game on in the week that was supposed to be the Steelers' bye week. But this is also throwing up issues because Cameron Hayward tweeted yesterday and said, hey, look, I we're practicing. We didn't know if the game was going to be called off or not. This is supposed to be our bye week. But if this was our bye week, we shouldn't be practicing right now. We should all be getting the rest we're supposed to get. So there's all this massive confusion and the, the decision didn't come to delay the game until relatively late in the week. It didn't come until yesterday officially. So it, it's a, the mess is kind of coming and this is the first crack that's really appeared in the NFL season. I think at this point they have to look at potentially pushing back week 17 and creating a three or four week gap so they have a buffer to put games in that need to be rescheduled. You can't really just add weeks to the end of the regular season because you have to be able to keep the uh, those game, final games being played at the same time so teams can't just play out draws or whatever even that doesn't really happen in the NFL. But it's, it's something I'd rather be focusing on football I'd rather not be talking about it but we can't really ignore it based on just how serious it is. Yeah, it's, a, it's the first time really that um, it has impinged on any serious level on the actual football on the field. So um, I don't think your solution there of uh, pushing the week 17 back a couple of weeks, that makes a lot of sense and, and hopefully that will actually work. In terms of the actual football itself and, you know, maybe it is um, futile to be talking about this given what's just happened and if it happens once, that is that actually just the start of it and we'll see. But uh, in the meantime, we will pretend that um, uh, this is normal. And, we live um, in ignorance. Yeah, exactly. So uh, let's talk about the Patriots because, you know, they are probably the, still the most supported team out there. And you've got to say that um, things are trending in the right direction for them. But there's a big game this weekend where we again get the opportunity just to see how far and how quickly the offense is, is progressing with Cam Newton at the helm. Yeah, and this game becomes a lot more interesting this week because of the result on Monday night because now... Like because of how bad the, the Chiefs beat the Ravens and and because of the way the Chiefs beat the Ravens, we can kind of like look down on the Ravens and, and put them below the Chiefs now rather than have them as one one A and one B. And the Patriots are moving up. So we're looking for who's the contender to the Chiefs in the AFC, who's the biggest threat to them. And the Patriots have to be it. Like if we look at the Chiefs playoff loss, the last playoff loss they had, which was their original playoff loss of Patrick Mahomes in the AFC Championship game. Belichick had the perfect game plan. It was, hey, we're going to keep everyone back. We're going to force you to run the ball because we know you want to throw the ball. Hey, just keep running the ball. We'll see if you can have the patience to do that. And they didn't really have the patience to do it. And then the Patriots on the other side were able to run the ball over and over again with Sonny Michel and exploit that Chiefs defense. That Chiefs defense struggled to stop the run on Monday night and the Ravens got away from it too early, which is another problem. But the, the big failing for the Chiefs on Monday was Martindale knew his blitzes weren't working, but Martindale was also being talked about over and over again on the broadcast, being praised for how many different looks he has and how many different, uh, how many exotic plays he's designed. And that's something that defensive coordinators fall into. They look at that and they go, everyone's talking about me for these beautiful plays I'm calling. It doesn't really matter that my defense is being absolutely railroaded and players are wide open. Everyone's talking about the lovely designs I have. I'll get a job out of this. Bill Belichick doesn't do that. Bill Belichick knows he, he has his job security. Bill Belichick knows he doesn't need to get attention from the media. He knows he's going to come in there with the right game plan and play the proper game plan. He's going to look at what the Chargers did two weeks ago and have Stefan Gilmore and his cornerbacks play aggressive man coverage have the safeties back and force them to try and run the ball a little bit but the interesting aspect of it now is Stefan Gilmore's not having a very good year he got beaten a couple of times last week he got beaten a lot against the Seahawks by DK Metcalf 
and the the Panthers are the sorry the Panthers because of camp, but and the Patriots on offense were only just able to kind of deal with it last week. And Newton wasn't particularly good last week. We saw he wasn't really running the ball a heavy amount again because they weren't playing uh, one of their main rivals. They also we also saw his passing wasn't particularly good, and that's going to be an issue for him because his consistency is not going to be there week in and week out, especially after he comes off a big heavy or after he comes off a a game where he throws a lot or where he, has to play, where he has to run the ball a lot because his body's going to feel that from the previous week. The Patriots, to me, are still a fascinating team. And one of the big positives is Chase Winovich, who is a defensive end who was in his second year. He looked really good against the Ravers, Raven, or Raiders. And he beat uh, Colton Miller, on, who was the Raiders' left tackle. He be, or Sorry, he beat Denzel Good, who was also playing at right tackle in for Trent Williams. He beat Gabe Jackson at right guard. And he beat uh, the backup who was in for Richie and Cognito at left guard. I can't remember who that is. But in that one Raiders game, he beat all four of the primary pass protectors for the Raiders. And that's a massive detail because... The Patriots are lacking sacks. They don't, they don't have a pass rusher. Pass rushers with a huge amount of quality. Since Chandler Jones left and Trey Flowers left, they've never really replaced them. They've shifted all their equity into the secondary. And the secondary is incredible because of it. But the weakness of this Chiefs team is the offensive line. And uh, the Ravens took away their pass rushers' ability to win one-on-one because when you're blitzing, the quarterback can just throw the ball quickly. It's all about whether he falls for the, for the disguise or not. The Patriots won't do that, so they'll have their pass rushers in trying to win those one-on-one matchups. And Eric Fisher gets exposed whenever he's asked to pass protect. I think the Patriots are an incredible matchup, whether they'll beat the Chiefs, whether they can contain the Chiefs, I don't know. But they'll do a much better job of it of what, of what, they, of what happened on Monday. OK, so you think it's going to be a very close game then? I think it's going to be a really interesting game. I think it's going to be a really good game. But the problem for the Patriots is they're similar to the Ravens. They're more of a ball-controlled offense. They want to have long drives and they want to keep you on the field. And if Patrick Mahomes... like The, the one thing I haven't mentioned from that Chiefs game is the Chiefs haven't played a good first half on, since the regular season last year. In the playoffs, in every round, we kept talking about, hey, they're done by 10 points, they're done by 10 points. They're, they've had this massive comeback. It happened in the well, it happened in the division round, happened in the AFC Championship game, happened in the Super Bowl. It happened in week one. It happened in week two. The first time in nearly, whatever, nine, ten months, whatever it is, I can't even remember the last game they played well in the first half. On Monday night, the first time they played a good first half, the first time they played a complete four quarters on offense, especially on offense, defensively it's been a little bit more consistent, but especially on offense, the first time they did that on Monday, they basically blew out the Ravens. And if they do that to the Patriots, I don't think the Patriots have the firepower to keep up with them. Now, it's not just Cam, it's like, the receivers haven't proven to be massively explosive. Demier Bird is playing well. Julian Edelman has been effective, but not great. Nikhil Harry, they need to get more from. And the tight ends haven't really been a factor. So then you're kind of going with Cam, trying to run the ball, coming back into a game with Sonny Michel. And Rex Burkhead, who played really well last week, but James Boyd is still absent. So you don't really know if they can keep uh, if they can keep pace in a high-scoring game. If the Patriots' defensive strategy works, we could see something like the Chargers game two weeks ago. But we could also very easily see the Chiefs blow them out. I think the one thing you can just say with certainty is it won't be a comfortable victory for the Patriots if it is a victory for the Patriots. All right, the spread is six and a half points in that one there and um, the Chiefs are bigger, uh, sorry, the Patriots are bigger than two to one with uh, all of the bookmakers as well. So um, that's quite the uh, underdog status for, uh, for the Patriots. Sure, I can't imagine there's many times over the last 10, 15 years where Bill Belichick has had been plus 6.5. Uh, and it seems fairly remarkable, all right. Um, and uh, certainly, if they lose, they go two and two, and the Chiefs go four four and zero. Oh. So, um, you know, I'm fairly sure that they're going to be okay, given that there's an extra playoff spot this year. But 
those uh, those Buffalo Bills all of a sudden they ain't playing. Yeah, that's a, they're both quite a fascinating team. So, like, obviously, Josh Allen's getting a lot of talk and a lot of praise. And Josh Allen deserves a lot of praise for his accuracy going massively up. But his mistakes are also still there. He also has six interceptable passes so far this year, with only one being caught. And he has three lost fumbles this year as well. And they're coming at key moments. The Rams uh, were able to come back into that game in the second half, in large part because of Allen's process being broken. But if you look at the offense as a whole, they're incorporating Allen very well. The Devin Singletree was incredible last week. He was making everyone miss without Zach Moss. Zach Moss is their rookie third-round pick this year who, they, who they've been trying to push into the offense. But Singletree just looks like a better player. He was like the Rams. Samson Ebukam, who plays on the outside for the Rams, had an absolute nightmare. Because every time he was uh, confronted with uh, Singletree at the line of scrimmage, Singletree just made a miss. And the same thing happened to Troy Hill, who was a cornerback who unfortunately found himself in positions to tackle Singletree an awful lot and just couldn't get near him. So Singletree was able to come up with over 120, 130 yards in that game. And he did so from a lot of the time from disadvantageous positions. And then you look at Stefan Diggs beating Jalen Ramsey over and over again. Diggs has been an outstanding addition to the offense. We expect that. The Vikings are missing him massively despite Justin Jefferson's breakup game last week. And then schematically, they're doing a really good job to get the ball out of Allen's hands and to make the most out of their receivers. The offense there is really, really nice. And actually, the key detail I didn't even talk about is they've rebuilt that offensive line and they've done it very quickly and done it very effectively. Like if we watched the Jets last night, the Jets are still without one quality starter when Mekki Becton is out, and Mekki Becton was injured last night. So the Jets have been trying to rebuild their offensive line for years and never managed it. The Bills have done it in an off-season or two, and now they look like they have a really strong unit. Allen is still going to be someone I'm looking at going, yeah, too many mistakes for me to get too excited about them, too many bad process moments, too many opportunities to turn the ball over, especially when he's carrying the ball like Sean McCoy with an outstretched arm in one hand. Obviously, he's got a big hand, but that's still very dangerous, and that's what's leading to all these fumbles. So if I, if you focus too much on Allen, you'll still be going, I'm not confident in this team. But if you look at the overall makeup of the offense and how it's playing, it's really exciting if you're a Bills fan because they know they have quality defensive coaching. They know they can get their defense. And like no one right now, it's the highest scoring season ever as far as I can tell. Defenses are behind because of no preseason and no proper training camp. No one's going to keep defenses to, or keep offenses to 12 and 13 points. Those days are gone. But if you're going to win their, your matchups and, and contain the defense or the off opposing offense enough to win games and to create turnovers and to get the key stops, and that's something you can expect out of the Bills coaching staff, yeah, they should be really excited. I say all that, I'm still going to be looking at Bill Belichick and Cam Newton and say there's just too much quality there for them to... Like they, they might come second in the AFC East. They might not be the winners of the AFC East. But if you went into a one-on-one -on -one matchup, I know who I'd be picking. They might have a two-game lead, though, at the end of this week. Um, Buffalo uh, at the Las Vegas Raiders on the late slate of games at the same time as the Patriots are up against the Kansas City Chiefs. Right. Um, it is time for us now to uh, put end a call in studio where he puts his reputation on the line again because it's time for Rookie Corner. Are you a complete rookie? It turns out Enda is. I am. What I think I proved that last week. So I've forgotten the actual question that you asked last week. Uh, I've forgotten because the question you asked off air was better. What's the pick six? We explained what that was. What was the question you asked? Oh, what last one is what is holding. Yeah. Do I, do I have to explain it now? Yeah, well, that, well, that if you, that's your homework. Right. So holding is essentially when you have the, the snap and then you can't really pull, you can't pull the jersey. You can push him back with your arms onto the chest. Uh, but if you're caught holding him, literally holding him or pulling his jersey, that, that is technically holding. But it's not given very often. Uh, that, that was my understanding from last week. The, Jim Jeffries has a new podcast where he brings on uh, an experts every week and they tell him all and they, 
they t- they find out what he's an expert in, and the first thing they do is ask Jim Jeffries to explain stuff, and he has to explain things like climate change and are things that he knows nothing about, and they have a confidence marker for him a measurement, and I feel like Enda got that right. But the confidence he had in delivering that answer was a complete utter zero. Although I was kind of put on the spot there, I wasn't expecting to be, you know, tested on this. Get it's up. live TV, and come on, you've got to be working off the cuff. Yeah, get up early in the morning. Come on, what have you got for us this week? Well, you said you spoke about this already, or you spoke about a cornerback. I was wondering, we we had sort of a GAA reference last week about holding and how it's similar enough to a GAA tackle. And I was wondering. Is a cornerback similar enough to what a cornerback does in GA? This is a good question. Uh, I used to be in a fantasy league with Jackie Terrell and his team name was Shutdown Corner. And uh, he himself, obviously, uh, an infamous Shutdown Corner. Um, so he, he was attracted to it. Keen, is there any connection with the uh, GA cornerback and the cornerbacks playing in American football? Um, it's actually, funnily enough, it reminds me of uh, years and years ago, probably 10 years ago now, when I was still playing yeah, and still playing yeah, football. The we, we used to do this drill where we were probably taking too much from the north and too, too much from that style of play, no, where no. we were meant to, we were meant to yeah. have uh, defensively when we were tracking back, we were meant to block the runners after they, they'd pass the ball off. And it was one of these things that I was like, and there wasn't many things in, in, in sports at all that I was very good at. It was one of these things that I was very good at because I treated it like an NFL cornerback where if I was tracking a man coming out with the ball and he pa- he passed it off, I would focus on the man and just straight, straight kind of uh, what they call it in the NFL is face guarding, where you have your face lo- lock onto his and you're only focused on him and you turn with him and run with him. And when I did that in the game of football, it kind of worked perfectly, but it was obviously a very difficult thing to do because you have to have an awareness of where the ball is and where the play is. That's kind of what an NFL cornerback does, in man coverage at least. He is locked onto one specific receiver. He doesn't look at the ball until the moment it's arrived and he's got to mirror the action of the wide receiver. What's man coverage, just quickly? So man coverage is when you have... and when, when the offense lines up and there's two wide receivers to the left and two wide receivers to the right, and you're a cornerback on the right side, they say to you, hey, we're in man coverage, you've got to cover that guy. See number 18 right mm. there. You go and you play him, and no matter where he goes, you follow him and you say on him. And so there's I, a different type of... Do you have to combine that with not holding him? Oh, yeah. Yeah, you can't, you can't, you can't just grab him. You, basically, you're not allowed to hold anyone anywhere. You can't just make up the rules now all of a sudden because you're up against the fast guy. Yeah, but see, when that's why it always confused me about holding because you always see these guys holding. Yeah, I know. They, they always do. They almost never give it. So long as you're not gripping, you can you can mm. push, but you can't grip. You and the safest on. explanation, the safest explanation for stuff like that in the NFL is the officials are all 65 and 70 years old and miss a lot of things. Uh, but in, in as a cornerback, if you're playing man coverage, that means you're responsible for one specific receiver. There's press man coverage, which means you line up at the line of scrimmage. So when the play starts, you're standing a meter away from him. You're right next to him. And then there's off man coverage where you start to play six or seven yards or even 10 yards deep. And that's normally when you're a little bit scared of how fast the guy you're covering is. The opposite of that is zone coverage where you have a specific area of the field to account for. Zonal so market. If one receiver, so if one receiver comes into your area, you might not necessarily only focus on him. You might see where he's going and have to look for another receiver coming from a different area of the field. So I'm not really a Gaelic football expert, but if you're a cornerback in a blanket defense and everyone's back and you're playing a specific zone, it's largely the same thing. If you're yeah. a fullback, you're, you're, after, you're looking after your forward and you only focus on, your fo- on the full forward, 
And if they're dropping high balls in, you've got to win at the catch point and break those balls up. That's very similar to a cornerback in the NFL. But yeah, cornerback and- basically basically means the edges of the defense, the corners on the outside of the defense. So Physically, that's what when, when the team lines up, they're, they're the guys on the outside across from the wide receivers. Anybody that has watched Neil or Eamon McGee play football, that's, that's what they do. They, they don't focus on the ball. They focus on the man. So I, I kind of get it. And uh, we, we had a moment last week where you were explaining the politics of Premier League managers to me, and now you're using names of words and things that I don't understand, so you're going to have to explain that to Go me. back, I think it's the 2014 semi-final between Dublin and Donegal, and watching the battle between, I'd say it would have been further back than that, it would have been maybe the 2011 one, where well, just watch Neil McGee mark Bernard Brogan. And it's just they're they're just focusing on each other. It's, they weren't bothered about what else was going on in the game. It's just, it was literally just the two of them on the field. Aiden, going Aiden at Amani and Michael Murphy, but you've forgotten about that one, have you? No, I, I, I like to leave that one off. Yeah. Uh, so Wait, just mine was Noel O'Leary and uh, is it Aiden Amani again? Were they always beating the crap? Out of each no, other? no, Paul Galvin. Um, Paul Galvin. There. So the, the cornerbacks are on the outside because they're that's the corners. Um, do you want to just say who else is in the backfield there at the same time? Uh, in the secondary, you mean? Yeah. Uh, in the secondary, you've got a cornerback outside. You've got a slot cornerback who is the guy. So when you have two wide receivers, the best way to explain this is always relative to the offense because the defense mirrors the offense. So when you have two wide receivers and one goes and lines up wide next to the sideline outside the numbers, you have a cornerback across from him. He's just a cornerback. If you have a guy who's inside of the guy outside, okay, that's a bad way If you have a guy outside the numbers, then you have another wide receiver inside the numbers. You have another cornerback covering him on the inside. That cornerback is called a slot cornerback. Do you know so the difference f- between this, the you difference know the between these is? two. No, but I'm pretending to know for the time. All right, okay, well, we'll come back to the slot. There seems to be a lot in this, so I'm, I'm trying to... Well, it, I think it, you know, the, essentially I was saying that beside you, you have a safety whose job it is to be the, mm-hmm. the safety valve for oh, the cornerbacks. Yeah. All right, my bad. That's my bad. I, I thought you were talking about cornerbacks only. Is this going to yeah, be safety. a situation where I get a predicted test at the end of this or a predicted grade because, I don't know. Five, 500 lines of code, baby. 10%. Uh, there's 10, 10% give or take, you know, there might be, might be incorrect decisions, you know, I don't know. Uh, have you picked a team yet, Enda, more importantly? I've, uh, I, I've tried to pick a team over the last couple of years and I haven't landed on one yet. I do like the Raiders jersey, so potentially the Raiders. It's a bit cliched, Ender, to like the Raiders jersey. I'm not going to lie to you, but that's okay. Well, there's that, but I, I, the problem was I really liked Cam Newton before he moved to the Patriots. Yeah, that's fair enough. But I can't support the Patriots. I can't, you know, I can't be that guy. That is fair enough. Um, okay, next week's that's rookie. That's what I did. Wait for the Super Bowl winner. If anybody has any uh, ideas for Enda, you can uh, get in touch with us here. Use the hashtag the snap or uh, tweet us at off the ball. So uh, that's this week's rookie class. We should talk about uh, a couple of the other big stories that are coming out from um, the NFL before we wrap up here a little bit. I, I do want to take a, a second to talk about the performance of the Niners, given how few first team players they actually have. It's unfortunately heavily diminished by the fact that they're playing the New York teams who are completely rubbish. But notwithstanding that, the quality of good coaching is evident when you can put and plug and play anybody into your team and they continue to do the things that you always did. That's impressive. Jar, I have a uh, tweet on my timeline from last night. Uh, You can search for this if you want to search for it. It says Kyle Shanahan is a, I'm not sure if I can say it, B-A-S-T-A, you can finish the rest of that word. Uh, I'm not sure if I'm allowed to say that here or not. 
But if you look for that, it's a, a video play breakdown of uh, Kyle Shanahan in the round counter. And it's the most beautiful play design you're going to see perfectly executed by an offense and uh, a group of players that is just perfectly in sync with one another. And that's what you get from Kyle Shanahan teams. Like we, we're seeing how much coaching is impacting the game and how much coaching is, is impacting the sport right now and how much of an advantage it is to have coaches, especially in a year when there was no preseason. And Shanahan is... Like, actually, that's one of the things we can come back to that Monday Night Football game again. Andy Reid treated that game like a playoff game. He had so many different designs, so many different misdirection plays. The touchdown to Anthony Sherman is a play I've never seen before. And Andy Reid is still, every single year comes out with plays I've never seen before. He's still doing that 20 years in. So the, the, the creativity in coaching and the ability to be, beat up opposition player or opposition teams without having better players is still there for everyone, even teams that have great players. And Kyle Shanahan is on that level. It's Brandon Ayuk's touchdown where he comes across behind the quarterback and takes the ball off the quarterback and has three uh, blockers out in front of him. And the whole New York Giants defense is on the opposite side of the field. And they're all looking at each other going, how did we wind up here? But if you actually go back through the play, every single read the Giants players made was the right one. But Shanahan set them up, used a specific look, got them to bite on that, that look, and then went the other way. And if you have Nick Mullins and you have Jordan Reed and you have whoever else you have in your you – know, I'm still missing Debo Samuel. So you have Mohamed Sanu comes in. You have all these players and they're not particularly good, but you can still create play, uh, create space and create opportunities for them because of your coaching. You'll be able to beat a team like the Giants. And I don't, I'm not sure about this week. I think it'll be tougher this week against the Eagles because the, the defensive line is much better, even though the Eagles look terrible. But the, the problem for the Giants on the other side of the ball was – the offensive line and Andrew Thomas, who they signed or they drafted into the fourth overall to be their new offensive tackle, he was getting beat by Deion Jordan. He was getting beat by Kerry Hyder. He was getting beat by the backup lineman of the 49ers. Like the, without, they didn't need Nick Bosa to get pressure on Daniel Jones all the time. So part of it was, hey, the Giants are really bad. And part of it was, Kyle Shanahan continues to be an incredible coach. Yeah, and actually that division, uh, turns out, is stacked when it comes to coaches, we were we were saying that there was definitely preseason the possibility that the Rams had peaked and McVay was going to go through this period of difficulty. But that doesn't appear to be the case at the moment, notwithstanding the fact that ultimately they, they lose the game um, coming back last week. There's enough there to suggest that he knows what he's doing and he has come through whatever wobble there was last season. Yeah, and we should note they like, I, I don't generally like doing this, but there was a, a very questionable defensive pass interference on fourth down at the end of the game that the Rams will point to and say, that's the reason we lost. Like the, the Bills won with a last-second touchdown, and they did on the play following that penalty. They can't really complain about that because, for one, it's one play in a, a 90 plays or whatever it is in a game, but they also had it go the other way against the Cowboys where Jalen Ramsey got away with calling for an offensive pass interference that so wasn't really an offensive pass interference. So the Rams are, are doing really well, and they're in a really good spot overall. I think they'll come up a little bit short because of their defense's inability to tackle in, against the better teams, that's basically what happened against the Bills. They were relying on turnovers in the second half and uh, and the quarterback to miss opportunities in the second half for them to actually get blown out in that game. But it's it still, Sean McVay is, is, again, just incredible. The ability to create space for players who aren't able to create their own space on offense. It's a, a lot of misdirection again. It's a lot of play action and a lot of, uh, a lot of make, giving the defense one look and coming back and going somewhere else. But I do think we have to give Jared Goff some credit too. I think he's played relatively well so far. He had that one egregious error against the Cowboys that came off of Alden Smith's pressure. Outside of that, I think he's been largely clean. Like normally, like Jared Goff is someone who 
last year true i think it was 18 or 19 interceptions 20 interceptions whatever it was and he had 20 more passes that should have been intercepted that were passes were dropped by defensive players so jared goff is someone who is not necessarily going to carry your offense and you're someone you're going to be excited about but he did have or he has he's played quite well so far and he's complementing what the offense there is doing cam Akers, the running back looks quite explosive and he could be an intriguing option over the second half of the season the offensive line there with joseph nopum at left guard they're playing quite well as well. They're playing above the level you expect from guys who aren't really named players. Uh, Robert Woods has just signed a contract extension. He's been very good as well. He's always very good, so you kind of you come to expect that. He's a high-quality receiver no matter who's coaching him. And it's it's just an interesting team because they also don't have that deep threat. They've traded Sammy, they, they traded Sammy Arda. They left Sammy Watkins even free agency. They traded Brandon Cooks away. They never really brought in another speedster, so they're relying on young guys. They're relying on Josh Reynolds. They have the pieces... If Tyler Higby's played really well at times this year as well at tight end, but he's not a speedster. So the setup of the offense has changed quite a bit. But the coaching and the quality of McVay is still there. So again, we're kind of becoming a bit of a coach worship show this week, and we kind of have been for a while now this year because of the quality of it that's, that's available. Yeah, and the difference that it, you can clearly see the difference of having a good coach versus a bad coach or a coach who's been there and has begun to get their philosophy out and has had their influence stamped on the collection of players that they have brought together. Now, one last question for you about the Cowboys. What's the truth about where the Cowboys are at the moment? Because um, it could go either way. It could, it could get away from the Cowboys pretty quickly, notwithstanding the fact that their division is so crap. Well, you have to look at it this way. They're a fluky onside kicker recovery away from being zero and three. And to me, it it's the same as what they were last year or, or last season where coaching is just a major problem. They mismanage uh, situational play calling. They, they miss opportunities to... Uh, to take it to, to score when they should score defensively, there's just blown coverage after blown coverage after blown coverage. Like Alden Smith has been incredible. Alden Smith has come back in a way that no one expected Alden Smith to come back. He his career was over five years ago. He was out of the league for five years. He was dealing with addiction issues, dealing with law issues, and he's come back and been a guy who looks like he could be defensive player of the year. Never mind comeback player of the year. And he's been playing playing incredible. And the defensive line has been playing relatively well overall. But it just doesn't matter because in the secondary, uh, Trayvon Diggs is blowing coverages all the time. He's getting beaten too often. Obviously, DK Metcalf is a tough matchup, but he's been beaten every single week so far this year. The safety play there is horrendous. If you look at Tyler Lockett's touchdown from this past week, there's no one within 20 yards of him in the end zone. And that happens because all four of the defensive backs, and uh, that's the cornerbacks and the two safeties in the middle, all four of those defensive backs are back and there's two receivers coming, and it should be easy. The four of them could easily just bracket the two receivers or just stay deep and sit off of them. And for some reason, the four defensive backs stand in a straight line, don't move, and Lockett runs in behind them, and Russell Wilson has a 50-yard window to drop the ball into for an easy touchdown. So if the defensive line is playing really well, the secondary keeps getting beaten. And then, oh, and you also have Jalen Smith, a linebacker, who has been atrocious to the point that it looks like he's hurt, playing hurt, because he can't run. Yeah, at one stage, he was trying to track his uh, running back across the field, and they just handed the ball to the running back, and he just literally ran away from him. That's an incredible thing to happen to a linebacker who's been paid a huge amount of money, who's a spo- supposedly an athletic specialist linebacker who can cover space. So the Cowboys' defense is just getting obliterated. Dak Prescott is the only reason they're in these games at all in the first place. Maybe it gets easier if the, the, the softer schedule gets but the coaching is still a problem. And that's last year, that was a great equalizer for them where they, dra- they dragged themselves into game or where Prescott dragged them into games against good teams and then the coaching dragged themselves into games against bad teams. So 
they're all, I don't think they're going to have an easy win all year. They might not get blown out properly by anyone all year either, but then it's going to be another eight and eight, seven, nine, nine and seven year for them, which is really disappointing considering the talent on the team. All right, Kian, good stuff. Thanks, William, for joining us this week. Thank you. That's uh, Keen Valley with us every week here on The Snap. We'll have Ronan back next week as well with a pick six. A reminder, of course, The Snap and all-American football coverage on OTB is brought to you by the Aer Lingus College Football Classic. Check out collegefootballireland.com for all the latest up-to-date information about next year's game and tickets. We'll see you next week. Best of luck. OTB's American Football Show, The Snap. Yeah.